1: Hello, morning, afternoon, evening, however you're listening, whenever you're listening, thank you very much for doing so. This is Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Naomi Ishiguro. Uh, Her debut novel is Common Ground. It's a coming-of-age story about friendship in an increasingly divided world. We talk about why she likes her writing spaces to be impersonal and practical. Also, how the tricky last third always seems to resolve itself uh, and when you're like Naomi, when you've studied creative writing and now you teach it too, how much do you think about the rules that you've learned um, when you come to write it yourself?
0: I always imagine it being the case with like great musicians. You learn all the theory and you get it all in as muscle memory. And then you've just got to like let your creativity free and just not be like thinking about how you're you know, doing the technique of the finger picking. But because you've done it so many times in practice, your hands just do it naturally. Um, I think that's what I try, I try and do for my approach. We'll see if it's worked. <laughs>
1: there is more on the way with Naomi on this week's Writer's Routine. <music> yes. Hello, my name's Dan. Welcome along. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's day to get some inspiration and motivation to try and sort out our own. Now, this week, the debut novelist Naomi Ishiguro is on the show. She's published an acclaimed short story collection already. It's called Escape Roots, and her debut novel has just come out. It's called Common Ground. She started writing it around 2016. Yeah, that year, when everything in the world just changed, really. It's it's strange, isn't it? Because it's so recent, yet yet it feels so long ago. I guess after 2020, everything feels an age ago. But brexit happened trump became president and and no matter what your politics are it it felt seismic didn't it it all felt different like like things were were changing and it gave naomi the uh, the idea for her new novel her debut common ground it's all about stan who starts at a new school at a time of huge upheaval in his life and he meets charlie who starts to change his world It's a coming-of-age novel, and it's one of those debuts that that feel like it's the start of something really special. We talk about where she writes, how she likes it to be completely neutral and impersonal. Uh, Also, you can hear how teaching creative writing helped her iron out things when they became a little bit difficult for her. And we chat through why writing her second novel is uh, proving much trickier than her debut, as I think it often does. Uh, And we start the show, as we always do, with what Naomi Ishiguro sees around her in the place where she sits down to write.
0: So where I write tends to vary quite a lot. I used to write in libraries a lot. Um, I'm a member of the London Library and I used to, um, my boyfriend's family live in Brighton, so I love writing in the Millennium Library there um so hopefully if I, I was writing in one of those it would be like a big window and um in brighton you get to see a lot of seagulls <laughs> um, a lot of sky cuz it's quite high up um and i kind of like the impersonal thing of writing in a library as well um yeah it's just sort of having a clean desk at the end of the day
1: yeah expand that expand that impersonality of it i've spoken to many writers before and quite a lot of them like to curate their writing space they like things on the walls maybe uh, trinkets and talismans I guess that that remind them what's going on so you know it's their like cockpit as it were what 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 is it about things that are impersonal that that get you excited about writing
0: I think it's it's partly like anyone that knows me I, I have a problem like every time I move house I've just got so much stuff and I'm always throwing things away I just accumulate stuff everywhere and everything's always cluttered so I think sitting in a writing space with tons of things around me that all kind of mean something I'd find that quite hectic and just quite sort of just difficult and it would just sort of be encroaching a little bit on my brain so to be able to um, sit somewhere where everything's sort of calm and that I haven't there's nothing around that sort of has a significance to me particularly <laughs> it's probably quite kind of it's like a blank canvas I think um probably quite helpful um yeah I also just you know like people watching and you know all that
1: <laughs> mm. if it is a blank space if, if you are quite minimalist with you know your space and where you're working what are the things that you do allow yourself like when you head to libraries do you you take something with you if, is, is it just you and the laptop is it you with a notebook as well for ideas talk us through I guess, kind of what's in the bag when you head there?
0: Um, so I tend, well, I don't go to the library anymore because of the pandemic. Um, so this is all very much in an ideal world. Um, I don't type my first draft. So I will take a notebook if I'm doing my, my first draft and I write everything by hand. So, I, yeah, literally just a notebook and a pen. And um, often things I'm reading that are helpful, um, maybe when I'm doing research, Um yeah, it's really quite, I try and keep it quite simple. I don't, I li- I don't like having too many rituals or, or too many things that, that I sort of can't write without because I think especially in my early 20s, I was moving a lot. And if you, if you have too many sort of inbuilt kind of mechanisms that allow you to write, then it becomes quite difficult when you move house and everything changes. Um, yeah. But yeah, just literally notebook.
1: <laughs> so writing in a notebook, then your first draft why is why is that the way that you do things why do you need that connection to a notebook before you um before you type things up
0: i think it's literally just the way i grew up like i was i slightly missed that whole thing of growing up with typing i think it was the last like i mean probably you too the last generation where you were like handwriting stuff at school and i sort of realized at university just a few essays i handed in that i tried to write like typed first they were just a lot less good they just the the, the sentences got a bit garbled because i'd been trying to edit them as i was going and they were just that like my train of thought hadn't been as fluid and it hadn't just come out as, I don't know. Yeah. Coherently. Um, so I, I just kind of realized that I'm just not someone that can, can string ideas together very well on a computer. So it's just the quality is just much better if I sit down and try and handwrite it. Cause my brain to hand was just trained up as a child. Um, and I'm not, it's not so intuitive to type stuff. Like it doesn't, the connection just isn't there.
1: It's amazing. I've completely lost that. Mm-hmm. like I've, I've completely lost that i was with you uh yeah i think we're of similar age so yeah. i was i was yeah i was that person at school i was taught to write um and i like i write so little now if i do ever need to it, it's honestly like trying to walk again like I, I, I just struggle so much in in the time when you've written your first draft then and you're kind of moving it on to later drafts on the laptop we're kind of shooting this question quite early but i'm interested what's that process like? Like, how do you transfer something from a nice romantic kind of clear cut notebook to then, editing as you go onto the laptop just talk about that step
0: well that's a really important step actually well first I always I do a thing where I take photographs of all my notebook pages (laughs) so my camera roll on my phone it's just like insane looking I'm terrified of losing them because if I'm like writing in libraries all the time and I'm flitting between Brighton and London and all of that I'm just terrified I'll just leave it on the train or something um and that would be hours of work obviously if it's just there's no backup so I try and back everything up by taking photographs and it's helped in the past actually because you can you can just bring up the image and type it out and you've got the words back. Um, but yeah, I think that that process of transferring from handwritten to on the screen is a really good part of the editing process to me. Like it's quite helpful. Um, I'm not quite sure what, I think I just kind of notice then anything that's a bit unclear or I just, I automatically kind of start as i type up i I sort of refine it a little bit i try not to i think that's it i try try and second guess myself i try not to i try to just type it up as clean as like as exactly as it's written and then the few things that i'm like oh i have to change that though that's usually the things that actually do need to be changed
1: how much do things normally change between like if if you try not to change it a lot how similar is your 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 second draft on, on on a laptop compared to your first draft on on the page?
0: It probably is quite (laughs) similar. It's probably quite similar. Yeah, it varies, of course. And I'll do it at different stages. Like with Common Ground, I wrote it in sort of part one, part two, and part three. And from what I remember, I typed up the whole of part one once I finished it. And then I still had part two sort of going in a notebook. And then I typed up part two sort of at the end of that. So I won't just type a whole book in one go. That would be a nightmare. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. But what's interesting is that you've you've published short stories before but this is your debut novel that you've published. Now I'm sure you've kind of worked on novels in the past. Everyone's got them kicking around their their desk. But as you go on, like if this book is successful and then you have to write many many more books through the years, is this a is this a way is this a process that you're kind of comfortable carrying on?
0: I don't know. I do think about this. And I'm also, I wonder whether like, you know, writing is, is something I, I'm going to sort of do all the time. Is this one of these things? Because it is quite laborious um, writing everything out and then typing it. And it just didn't quite feel that efficient. It just felt the most efficient way to do something deeply inefficient kind of at the time. Um, so I'm not I'm not really sure. I think with each book, it will probably vary. Um, I've been trying, I ha- having said, I'd like to handwrite everything. I've been trying to type something up recently because I just found myself, like type the first draft because I found myself just bewildered in notebooks. So I just couldn't see it, see the work clearly anymore. I just felt like I was just seeing loads of like handwritten mess essentially. Um, so I feel like between, from, from, from book to book, the process will probably vary because like the form is going to be different and the way, like the way you write it necessarily has to change with, with what the project is.
1: What, what did you enjoy most about the process and the form? From the first one that you would like to try and be consistent through your through your novels,
0: I think I tried to write it in a way that felt quite honest and I didn't want to feel like I was trying to sound like my sentences were very nice or elegant or writerly or I was trying to sort of operate almost the like kill your darlings principle, but from the first draft like not as an editing thing but just. Yeah if anything seemed too flowery or like I was just kind of getting lost in a description for the for the sake of it I was just kind of like no who is that for really is it just for me to make myself feel clever um so I think I was just trying to trying to keep things very like quite direct and quite um Quite, I, I hate the word so unpretentious like oh i was being so unpretentious but like <laughs> trying to make it yeah, it's
1: almost pretentious by definition isn't it that yeah
0: i know yeah that's it but just try to be quite honest in it and just with the voice and not try and seem more literary than like people are and then than i am i think i think that was a, a good exercise with kind of every sentence in it and um i would like to keep that up definitely <laughs>
1: How how would you know when a sentence wasn't right? When, when you're rereading them and, uh, you know, as you're writing or then when you're transferring it onto the laptop, what was it about a sentence that set the alarms going that, hang on, maybe maybe this is not what I want?
0: Mm, I think if I'd used kind of words that become very popular, I was the word crepuscular always comes out of me. Like it's a great word. People love it. I love it. But if I'd use that word, I just, I would never use that word. Like I, I just wouldn't. So if I, if i said something like that, I'd be like, Hmm, am I just copying someone though? Is that really what I want to say here? Like, is it necessary? And I think it's also like the rhythms of a sentence. I was, I was trying to keep the rhythms very, I don't, I don't know what it was. There was a kind of just like a rhythm to the book and, and the voice and, Having, having said I work in libraries, I do, but I sort of read aloud in my head quite a lot because I'm writing and if, if the sentence doesn't fall in the right rhythm, I'll sort of just, it, I'll, I'll change it. It won't, yeah. I know that it doesn't fit. <laughs> in an ideal world, I would just take it, I, I've been very lucky with, with common ground and um, the last year, so I was sort of basically able to do it full time give or take a few days. So, um, I would treat it like a nine to five, like I would just get up about seven, (laughs) um, commute into central London, uh, sit down (laughs) and take out my water bottle and whatever I was doing. If it was a first draft, just use my notebook, you know, just, it's very boring. Um, just kind of clock in the hours really, um, have, have lunch for like half an hour while I read a book and then go back to it, and leave about six. Like it was literally that dull. Um, But like it didn't feel dull because I was writing a book, but when you actually look at it, it doesn't, it doesn't look that much.
1: So why are you keeping those hours then? If you're a, if, if you're a writer, and as you say, you were lucky enough that you, you, you could dedicate it pretty much every day to this over the last 18 months or so, when you've got that liberty, why are you sticking to, a traditional nine to five that so many people want to get out of. Why why are you not writing at bizarre hours of the day? You know, getting your work done early so you can go and do stuff in the afternoon or or, or doing it late. Like, why are you why are you keeping to that kind of normal structure when you don't have to at all?
0: Um, I think it's a very that's a good question. I kind of think that when people want to escape the nine to five, it's probably the actual work rather than the schedule that's the problem really um and if you if you like what you do then it's actually just a very like there's a reason why capitalism sort of settled on on you know well, it's not really 9 to 5 anymore I'm like 8:30 till 6:30 but you know like it, it it it's an efficient way to use the day um and if if i'm doing what i what i want to be doing and writing a book um why wouldn't i as my own boss kind of choose to use the day in in the same way. Um, But for what I want to use it for, if I'm I'm lucky enough to do that. So I think that was kind of my thinking. And so much of writing a novel is just, is, is sort of, yeah, just put it, putting in the time and being quite disciplined about it. And I'm not someone that can just sort of drift around and and sort of come up with something amazing. I would just do no, no, I'd do nothing at all. (laughs) Um, Or I would do something completely different. Um, So yeah, I think, I think that's why Um, recently I found it, harder working from home because the, the sort of schedule and the boundaries just can't, aren't really there. Um, so I found, I found doing slightly more weird things like sort of getting up very, very early and writing in the early hours of the morning and all that kind of helps a bit more if you're, if you're stuck at home, but yeah, in, in an ideal world, I really do like the kind of standard, I think it's like switching your brain on as well. It's such a like high intensity brain work thing to do, to be writing a book. But it's just nice to have the boundaries and to be in the pattern like, you know, that at a certain time of day your brain just turns on and it's used to doing that. So you sort of do that and then you're at sort of peak, whatever it is, for a few hours and then you can sort of edit or whatever in the afternoon. It's just quite yeah, handy to have the routine.
1: So when you get there at nine o'clock, how good are you at instantly getting to the work? How do you find your energy and, you know, your focus, as you mentioned before, how do you find that flows during the day with your concentration?
0: I think the pattern helps um as i was saying before because I this all feels quite theoretical because yeah I, I haven't been going to the library and <laughs> it hasn't been going this well for since the pandemic started and working from home but if you if I go to the same place and and start at the same time every day I find actually it's quite easy just to click and click back into it um yeah I'm just quite excited to be starting it and with the commute you're so sort of quite excited throughout it to start on what you're what you're doing you sit down and you just sort of start it immediately um because that's what you do um yeah so I yeah my concentration throughout the day um usually it's if I'm enjoying what I'm doing um it can it's usually pretty pretty fine um I think that's the weird thing about writing though it's sort of a, a blessing and a curse you can lose the eight hours to it in one go and it feels like only an hour has passed and that's great because it's working but then it's also like where did the day go so I'm always this sort of frantic person that doesn't have enough time to do anything and I'm like why is there no time in the day um, and everyone else is like what's wrong with you <laughs> um, yeah how much
1: of those eight hours are planned uh, as in do you, do you know exactly what you're going to work on I mean, have you got some form of overarching structure for the story and you think right today I'm going to crack off a thousand words of chapter seven and um, when, when you sit down at nine how much do you know what you want to get done before five
0: um Probably quite a lot with with the first part of Common Ground, I didn't plan part one because I was sort of feeling out the project, but I had a clear sense of what the final scene, not the final scene, but like the sort of climax to part one. I, I kind of knew what that was going to be. And there's a kind of Neil Gaiman quote where he says, the, the handiest thing is when you, you see so the first, the thing that comes to you about a story kind of varies. Sometimes you get the idea for the beginning first. Sometimes you get a scene from the middle. But the, the handiest is when you, you kind of see the end and all you have to do is just sort of aim for it. So I didn't actually plan part one, but I just like aimed for that final scene um, and just allowed myself to get to know the project. Um, part two, I sat down and planned out every scene. And like the beats that I wanted to hit and I did it all in one go in Brighton um, in the Millennium Library over there. And then I sort of adjusted and adapted as I realized, oh, we actually need another scene for that to happen with that character and that character needs to realize this. So I need to add in another bit there. Um, But then I just sort of adjust my plan and then I sort of sit down and be like, right, we're nailing this bit today and then just sort of write that scene. But I wouldn't write as much as a thousand words a day, I don't think. Um, I don't know that many writers. I don't know, maybe I do. Some people do do that. I think I know a few people that sort of write books very, very fast, but um, I I think the quality would probably drop off after about 800 words. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It varies. Some days you're just in the flow and you write like 2000. I I honestly don't know. Yeah. It really varies.
1: There's there's a few things there that I want to pick up on. So uh, just about the word count, really. Um, if you find yourself kind of dropping off about 800, is that like, does every word kind of need to be perfect for you? Or are you happy overwriting and you're just writing, 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 and you know that you're going to have to cut and kill your darlings, as you mentioned earlier? Or are you desperately trying to find the perfect word to come next?
0: Having said... That About eight hundred words I think I'm thinking talking about what I'm writing now, which is yeah much more of a mess than common ground was. um I think with common ground when I was doing the first draft, I actually wasn't aware of how many words I was writing because I was writing in a notebook, and I was trying not to really edit myself at all. I just knew that if I stuck to the beats that I had in the plan like I'd plan out each scene and I'd know like the setting, which characters were in it, almost like a play, and I'd knew like which the key what were the key like emotional turning points and realizations that needed to happen in that scene and I sort of knew that as long as I hit those five things the draft would kind of be fine and salvageable at some point so I would kind of just get that out and try and like live inside it as I was writing it and not really think about words or anything and just handwrite it so I honestly have no idea how many words they would be I think it's more like editing when I'm typing stuff up and thinking about it and sort of refining it a bit more I would try not to do too many words in one go um but yeah I think the process has changed like it was yeah it was a while ago I wrote Coming Round and that it all kind of went quite smoothly um but I've sort of forgotten how I did it and now I'm trying to write this other book and it's it's not going smoothly at all <laughs> so so I feel like I'm sort of saying different things about my writer's routine now but um yeah Like that book was just such a blessing. Like when I'm talking about it now, it sounds so like smug. Like no, I was concentrating all the time, and like the emphasis now is I'm I'm totally in the opposite of that at the moment, and everything is everything's going terribly. No, it's not. But it's I'm finding writing quite hard. Um, but with coming around it, it just came to me kind of almost all in one go, and I just I just kind of urgently wanted to write it, and I knew what it had to be. So there weren't really any side streets or like diversions or anything like I just really wanted to get it all down and and sort of finished and it was just very very clear like it was just like some weird it just came to me in one go um pretty much uh even when I didn't quite know what the plot of part two would be and I was sort of still feeling my way in part one I knew like what the the theme should be and what what kind of book it should be um so yeah I think I think it was just a lucky it was just a lucky strike that one (laughs) it just kind of yeah I think some books just turn up um Yeah. If you're finding
1: the second book harder, what are you doing to make it more bearable? Then, if if it's nowhere near as plain sailing as uh, Common Ground was, uh, how how are you kind of what are you doing to 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 help yourself out? I guess.
0: I think not a lot of things that consciously because um, I don't quite know what to do. <laughs> I should listen to your podcast, I suppose, and listen to all the other writers a bit more. Um, I have listened to it, but you know, um, just get some more tips. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I teach um, children creative writing and I think that's unconsciously been quite helpful. Like I didn't set out to like learn from it, but when you're thinking about how to help other people with their writing... Um, and how to like kind of scaffold lessons, like how to how to go step by step so that you don't sort of lose anyone kind of midway. And they're like, oh, I'm stuck. I don't have an idea because that's kind of where I'm at. Like, oh, I'm stuck. (laughs) So having having thought about those techniques for like helping other people put together stories um, that has just unconsciously been quite helpful to me. Um, when I'm doing my own writing, because I, I can sort of think, oh, what was I telling them yesterday? Okay, so what exercise did I make them do? Okay, why was I asking them to do that? Because this, okay, I need to do this. Um, so that, that's that been quite helpful. I also find getting up really early in the morning, um, and just writing before any emails come in, and it, before, you know, yeah, the day gets started, it feels like there's less pressure, in a way, because you know kind of like everyone else is asleep it doesn't really matter if you achieve nothing in those hours (laughs) like it's just i don't know it feels different (laughs) Mm.
1: (laughs) so much of writing i've 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 heard so much of writing is almost tricking your brain into realizing that it's not doing what it's actually doing and and you know getting up in the morning is you're kind of catching it off guard and you're still in this kind of fugue state um Mm, well listen the, the the first novel is um common ground Naomi, talk about the moment, the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. How did it present itself to you?
0: Um, I was, I think I, I used to live, I spent a short time after I graduated from my master's degree. Um, there's a writer called Rebecca Stott and she lives uh, in Norwich and she teaches at UEA where I was studying. Um, and she was looking for a lodger. She has this amazing house that's like a stately home. It was a, like an old museum um, And uh, she was looking for some writing lodges, um, just to live there. Um, So I spent a few months just kind of living in this amazing place um, with this big room um, and a window. And I can't quite remember, I was sort of writing, I sort of knew what I was, I can't quite think of the exact moment, but I think the moment that the sort of book came together and I don't it's sort of hard to describe, but there's this thing and, and it didn't even make it, was in the book, and then I had to delete it from the book because it didn't really make any sense in the context of anything else. But they have this, um, I'm gonna describe it wrong. It's like in Norwich, there's this um this day in September where all these lorry cabs um like go in a big procession and there's tons and tons of them, like hundreds, and they all drive um all the way from Norwich to Yarmouth, and they like Back, like, um, like beat their horns the whole way. And there's um, kids uh, who are like disadvantaged children in various ways from a kids charity. I said that so badly, but um, I don't know the, the full story, um, but they ride up in the lorry cabs to the, um, for the whole procession and it goes and people like line the streets. Um, and I hadn't heard of this at all because I lived in a different area of Norwich for the other years that I was there, but I could see it the whole thing from my window Um, and I kind of thought it was, uh, it was amazing. I was just like, I've never seen anything like this. And I, I kind of loved the story and the idea of, and then I was like messaging my mom about it and she was remembering because her, her, um, her grandpa used to work for a carpet factory in Glasgow and he had a lorry and she was remembering being a little kid riding up in the lorry cab and like being able to see like so far and it being amazing being so high up and I was just thinking I don't know I just really loved it (laughs) it just made me really happy and I could just watch the whole thing from my window and I think that that sense of like local news and sort of weird little local things happening that really were like the point of everything like the kind of I don't know I was just like it's it's stuff like this that I want to make this book about is the the small human stories that no one really tells you about like being like when I lived in London or I was in Bath I never heard about the, the Norwich to Yarmouth Lorry Parade like no one no one talks about it beyond there but I was like why not um and I kind of wanted to tell a story about the amazing things just like the yeah those those stories that just happen um yeah, those kind of brilliant moments. And I think that was, that was the moment that it really did come together. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing
1: We'll have more from Naomi in just a sec. Now, uh, I've just added a brand new tier over on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. If you enjoy the episodes that we release weekly, more or less weekly, and if you've learned something that has helped the way that you write, that's where you need to go to support the show. And if you've ever wanted me to ask a question that I've never really got round to, uh, something about the craft that you really want to know, uh, if you're listening in and you think, oh, why hasn't Dan asked that question? Well, I can ask it for you. There is a way that you can make that happen. Uh, over on this brand new Patreon tier, it will get you a bonus episode every few months full of your questions. Your questions that you send to me, and I ask them to writers on your behalf. Uh, And the episode, the bonus episode, will only be available to those backers. Now, this main Friday show, it will remain free as a bird for you. But if you want me to pose your questions to the authors that I interview, you can make that happen. Now, this might be a little working progress at the start. If you do back us straight away, just give us a little bit of time. Uh, I think the episode will be released more or less every three months, but it it kind of depends how many questions I get as and when. We'll figure that out as we go. But you can help it get started, really. Head over to patreon.com forward slash writersroutine and support the show over there. Right, let's get back to it then with Naomi Ishiguro talking about her debut novel, Common Ground. In this part, we talk about the tricky last third of the book and how she manages to push through it. Also, uh, how much thought she gives to making us care about these characters. Like, how naturally does that come? And we pick things up, uh, talking about the new novel, Common Ground, and uh, how the idea for it came into her brain.
0: I was sort of seeking a new project because I I liked... Escape routes, but as with any first book, that's my short story collection. As with any first book, that's always something that you look back at and you're like, oh, that just didn't work. I didn't like that. That didn't quite link. Or like, what was I thinking? That just didn't communicate at all. And yeah, I am proud of it, but it felt very um messy and it felt like I was getting out something, like a whole kind of imaginative world that I was kind of quite obsessed about when I was sort of a teenager, like all the sort of dark fairy tales and all of that. And um, I think the whole time I was editing it cause I spent quite a long time sort of editing it and working on it. I was wanting to write something that felt kind of bigger and more like me now. And um, yeah, that sort of tapped into a lot of the things I was, I was thinking about, it was sort of around 2016. And um, the EU referendum and all of that, you know, everyone in the country just thought about Brexit for like an entire year. That was just all we thought about. <laughs> so I think I wanted to write a, that all that stuff was kind of, I was like, I want to write the the novel about this, um, but I didn't know how, so that, yeah, it was all just kind of there. Like I, I wanted to write a better book than Escape Routes, And it, I I knew it had to be something sort of around, um, I don't know, belonging and and Britain and England and, and um, kind of solidarity and and all of those themes and I guess I was sort of looking for the the way into that project so I was sort of seeking out a new a new project in that way I was like how how am I going to write this where's it going to come from what's the hook like who are the characters but I I knew I wanted to do that sort of from from a long time ago.
1: 2016 like when we look back on it it will be the maddest year ever. Like, like whatever your opinion people's opinions are about all of these things, but, you know, Brexit and Trump were quite seismic world events and also here in the UK, like, everyone died. Anyone famous that had ever lived suddenly died. Like, what's going on? Anyway, so you've got this, um, you know, you've seen the uh, the Norwich uh, lorry trip to Yarmouth and you think this, this will be a nice theme, a nice idea for a story. Where does the plot come from that? How do you go, okay, this is what I want to write about. Now I need some characters. Now I need something for the characters to do. How do they come into it?
0: Um, they just sort of appeared. I think writing the first is the worst answer, isn't it? They just sort of appeared. Um, I absolutely hate that. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I think I think the yarmouth lorry thing helped me understand. I hadn't written them yet, but there's a character called Charlie in the book who um, he picks up lots of uh, local history things like that and he has this kind of like idea forming in his head about what's important and what kind of stories people should be telling and kind of what this country really is and he's he's sort of always piecing them together and they're kind of different from the stories that you might learn at school or in history or um you know it's not like Tudors it's um there's a story that that does like the the lorry cabs was initially one of the stories that he'd picked up on. Um, but I had to delete that because he just had too many stories (laughs) in the end. But the one that made it in was, um, uh, it's like the, the story of, um, these Glaswegian factory workers in the seventies who who refused to, um, repair these Rolls-Royce, um, fighter jets, um, because they realized they'd been used for the military coup in Chile. Um, so they, um, like down tools and solidarity and just kept them, the engines rusting, um, and just refused to, to mend them for years and years. Um, and in the end, they just it, yeah, it's a very strange story. The engine just disappeared um, in the middle of the night. So that's a whole other thing. But that that story of solidarity isn't one you learn at school. But but you, he just is a character that that sort of picks up on these um, stories that he thinks are important. And I think seeing seeing the lorries, I think I, I sort of got a sense of that a character that that kind of goes around and he doesn't quite know why, but he's sort of collating these things because um, it's it's important to him. Um, The other character was sort of more obvious, I guess. He's this sort of young kid who's um, kind of a more standard coming of age character. He's dealing with bullies at school and problems with his mom and all of that. Um, Yeah. I don't know. He just sort of appeared (laughs) and it's the story of their friendship really. Um, But yeah. um, And then the the plot just came out of the, yeah, how they interacted. I think.
1: When you're talking about these characters and, and, you know, one is a, a coming of age character and and typically, and you, uh, what, what was your master's in? Was it in a form of creative writing?
0: Yes, I did a MFA in creative writing. Yeah.
1: So when you're, when you are writing this novel, well, and in effect, when you're writing anything that you write, um, how much are you thinking about what you've learned when you are writing? You know, how much are you thinking about beats that you have to hit? What makes something read well, use of words, use of pace, How much are you thinking about these things as you tell your story?
0: Um, I'm not really thinking about them at all, but I just think through years of like just building them in. Um, it's almost that thing with, I don't know if it's the case, but I always imagine it being the case with like great musicians, you learn all the theory and you get it all in as muscle memory. And then you just gotta like, let your creativity free and just not be like thinking about how you're, you know, doing the technique of the finger picking, but because you've done it so many times in practice, your hands just do it naturally. Um, I think that's what I try. I try and do for my approach. We'll see if it's worked. <laughs>
1: Mm. With, with uh with these characters um with uh with with Stan and, and Charlie uh if you know so much about them and it's these characters that are going to keep us going they're gonna they're gonna pull us through the plot uh Paul's pull, a terrible word they're gonna you know lead us nicely through the plot in that we want to repeat you know what I mean um how do you make sure sh- well how much do you think about whether us as the audience whether we care about them as much as you do when you're writing them in Brighton Library
0: oh wait so that's like how how do I I make sure the audience care about them or yeah
1: like how are you making these characters relatable and accessible and 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 that we, we we care about them I guess
0: I think I didn't really think about it that much when I was writing them but I think I was sort of I sort of felt I I held faith with the sort of alchemy of the process that if I cared enough about them and I sort of really yeah I really loved them as characters then then the readers would see that as well um and I yeah it it was a very strange thing because I I felt like I knew I knew them and I, I cared about them and they were like real people and I really wanted to just like get them down and I thought that if I did then everyone else would sort of feel the same about them as I did I didn't really question it but yeah now now that I'm I'm writing this other book and it's it's harder I do have to sort of think about like like I was saying like with the the creative writing teaching it to children and thinking like how do you make your reader sort of care about your characters and I I sort of do think more about sort of you know more not tricks but like more techniques and and sort of strategies for 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 that kind of thing but with Common Ground I, I didn't really I didn't really think about it I was just sort of blindly sure that it would work um for for better or for worse so what
1: what what techniques and what tricks are you thinking about now with the second and 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 teaching children of
0: um well I haven't actually kind of got around I haven't yeah I haven't really applied this on my own writing as yet but I was sort of thinking about it the other day and sort of characters thinking about sort of how to create characters um that your reader loves uh, like yeah making them relatable and from the beginning i kind of feel like just some just tricks like showing them in a really vulnerable position like or in a position where they're they're not sort of polished and perfect or where where something's slightly slightly going wrong in their lives or they're um yeah they're quite vulnerable then if you show them like that at the beginning then your reader immediately empathizes with them and thinks oh i want to look after this person rather than thinking oh they're all sorted out and fine like that person might be a threat. Like it's just a natural protective instinct. Or if you see like there's a book called Rooftoppers by Catherine Rundle, which is an amazing book. And the first chapter is it's so short, but it introduces one of the main characters so beautifully um, called Charles. And the first thing you see him doing is, is sort of picking this um, little child out of the water after a shipwreck um, and deciding that he's going to look after her. And just seeing a character sort of make that decision to like look after a vulnerable person as well like a, a a small child you immediately you you just love that character just immediately <laughs> um because you think oh what a lovely what a lovely thing to do so yeah just just tricks yeah that you know seeing someone make the decision to care for something vulnerable seeing a like vulnerability I think is is something um that that does sort of get re you know it sounds so. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know, it sort of get tricks readers into liking your characters. That's not what I mean at all. But it, yeah, it's a good. It's a good thing to be aware of.
1: <laughs> and, and and lastly, you've you kind of like you you've gone through kind of the answer before, but I just thought we'd 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 go over it again. Um, this was your first novel, which is obviously a big undertaking, and and you've said the, your second one is proving uh, less easier than the first. Uh, w- what did you um? what did you learn about writing a novel that will carry that will kind of serve you well as as you as you continue writing novels
0: Mm. I wish I knew the answer to that because it would be very helpful currently um, in my writing um I think that part three I found part three very hard um so parts one and two I wrote very quickly and they all yeah when I said oh the whole book came to me it sort of did thematically, um, and I knew sort of how the ending should feel, but how the ending should actually literally be on the page took quite a long time to figure out. And I think I've heard from other people as well that that last third is is quite tricky. Um, and just to like, just not to panic and scrap a project at that point because it's yeah. I don't know, if anyone's listening to this and you're stuck on the last third, then. Uh, it'll be fine (laughs) i think that's that's the thing i learned like it seems like it's going to be a disaster but it's actually you just have to work through it
1: now that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much to naomi ishiguro you can grab a copy of common ground using the link in the episode notes where you're listening and over at writersroutine.com as well it's feel good like it's beautifully stunningly written it feels different it feels like there's a special edge to it. It's a, it's a stunning tonic for how divisive things are at the moment and how we all need a little bit more compassion. Now, next week, uh, we're chatting to Chloe James. Her new novel is Love in Lockdown, which is a very timely book. You can hear how she managed to write and publish it so quickly next week on the show uh, with Chloe James on Writer's Routine. Get yourself subscribed wherever you're listening to the show, and I will see you then. a brand new episode. Bye.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.